is that a sign? Should we maybe put the stuff we think we know down on paper? Should we maybe give workshops, you know, to help our friends and just share what worked for us? Then, you know, the answer came from goddess, the universe, divine source, whatever that is, as these things sometimes do. I actually call uh, these um, these messages something very practical. Uh, I, sometimes I call them a clue by four. Well, this time the final clue was an invitation to present a few workshops on a spiritual conference uh, at sea during the week of February 14th to 21st for Valentine's Day week next year. And you know what? Next year is only a short time away. So start thinking about this because um, if you think that sounds like something fun to do or different to do, uh, the early bird discount uh, ends at the end of November. Uh, but it might be extended, or I think it might, but I don't know for sure. So let me know if uh, you think you might like to join us uh, on this incredible cruise as we sail to the gorgeous, fun-filled ports of Mexico. You can be part of a spiritual conference at sea with famous speakers. Uh, you can celebrate Valentine's Day by healing yourself, enhancing your relationships, and opening your heart to true divine love. You can discover what a conscious relationship is, starting with the relationship with yourself. You can immerse yourself in a relaxing atmosphere that can reignite the spark in your partnership. And if you're single and looking for love, well, who knows what you might find on board the ship. And if you're not looking for partnership, you might uh, use the cruise to help you improve all your relationships, uh, including the one with yourself. Uh, you can learn about the benefits and methods of, of tantric and Taoist sexuality. It's going to be seven days of bliss as we sail into a love consciousness and spiritual awakening. There's going to be folks there so that you can practice Tai Chi, yoga, enjoy vegetarian or non-vegetarian food, and some um, really fun and awesome spiritual activities. And don't forget, uh, being out on the deck of the ship, you can view the starlight, Mexican sky, and they're going to be doing UFO watches. So make some new friends, maybe a romance, gain some wisdom, create memories that can last a lifetime. So if you're interested in that, uh, let me know. The workshops Roy and I are giving on the cruise are Finding Love and Keeping It for the Rest of Your Life, uh, Awakening to the Lover Within, and Breaking Free to Be Your Authentic Self. I guess maybe after being married for 30 years, we might have something helpful to say, along with all the other uh, more famous speakers. So don't forget and get in touch with me uh, for the special additional secret discount code. Yes secret discount code if you think you want to sign up. And speaking of our 30th anniversary, if you're in Southern California, I invite you, uh, my listeners and friends, to our vow renewal ceremony at the Goddess Temple of Orange County. It's 11 a.m. this Sunday. It will be the perfect excuse to visit the beautiful Goddess Temple uh, there uh, in Orange County, which is in Irvine which is open to the public uh, Friday and Saturday afternoons for meditation and viewing the beautiful museum exhibits of goddess from the Paleolithic to the present. Goddess spiritual celebration services are every Sunday, rain or shine, from 11 to 12.30. And fourth Sundays are for all genders. All other Sundays are for adult women. So on fourth Sundays, you can bring the husband or boyfriend and, and kids 
Um, and then every Friday from 5 to 7, you can enjoy the Temple's Venus Hour, Orange County's best happy hour, but with libations, snacks, music, movies, and meeting new people. And you know what? It's all free. So for more information, um, you want to take advantage of that. Visit GoddessTempleOC.org. Their website, again, is GoddessTempleOC.org. And uh, for our final announcement at the top of the hour here, next week our show will be on Tuesday, not the usual Wednesday, and my guest is Susan Hawthorne calling in from Australia discussing her book, Lupa and Lamb. Very interesting stuff there. She's researched uh, and unearthed about the myths of ancient Rome, uh, particularly as they uh, have to do with um, the she-wolf, um, you know how you always hear about Romulus and Remus? Well, you know, there was a she-wolf there. Some people believe that uh, she is actually a metaphor for uh, goddess of the divine feminine. I'm hoping Susan will tell us. Also, there are sheep goddesses in Etruscan mythology. And we'll also talk about what she's unearthed, about how Christianity changed the mythic landscape and started to bring in depictions of violence. So that's Susan Hawthorne will be with me next Tuesday. But you know the way it all goes. If you don't uh, catch the show on Tuesday, you can always uh, catch it from the archives. I know I've already heard from a bunch of you saying you're traveling next week and you're going to sort of kill that time in the airports and uh, I guess maybe even on the plane uh, listening to um, shows in the archives and catching up. So uh, I hope you do, and I hope you enjoy. So, okay, we are ready uh, for, oops, we have lost Jan. Oh, here she's back. Here she's back. Something happened. Hey, Jan, you're back. Hey, I got disconnected. Sorry about that, Karen. I don't know what's going on. That's okay. That's okay. Perfect timing. I was just about to say hello, Jan, and I noticed you were gone, but then you were coming back. (laughs) Okay. Well, well, Jan, welcome to the show. If I have trouble again with this phone, I'll go to another Well, you know what? Um, Don't make yourself crazy if I see you disappear. I will just keep talking until you come back. <laughs> I, I will be back. I've got a backup here. so. <laughs> okay, okay, good. So let me just uh, introduce you to uh, my listeners because uh, it's been a while since you've been on the show, and you've done so much since then. Uh, your your bio is probably updated. So, uh, listeners, we are about to talk to Reverend Jan Aldridge-Clanton, Ph.D. She is an innovative feminist theologian and popular teacher, currently serving as adjunct professor at Perkins School of Theology and Richard College. She's ordained in the Alliance of Baptists. She ministers in ecumenical and interfaith settings and co-chairs the National Ecumenical Multicultural Equity for Women in the Church Community. She's an award-winning author of many books about religion and ministry, including Changing Church, Stories of Liberating Ministers, Seeking Wisdom, Inclusive Blessings and Prayers for Public Occasions, In Search of the Christ Sophia, an Inclusive Christology for Liberating Christians, Inclusive Hymns for Liberation, Peace and Justice, and In Whose Image, God and Gender. And her new book uh, that's just out now that uh, is going to be our primary topic tonight is She Lives, 
Sophia Wisdom Works in the World, which is about um, fascinating stories of lay people and clergy transforming Christianity through female divine images, divine feminine rituals, and information on feminist emancipatory faith communities. So, Jan, thank you so much for being back with us. Thank you. You I'm know, as I was here. reading all of the work you're into, Jan, I wondered, have you ever been to the Parliament of World Religions, or are you thinking of going in October? Well, God has told you to say that because uh, I have just uh, just today uh, got my registration in, and I have uh, proposed a panel, and so I hope that that's going to to happen. Uh, it's going to be a panel of some people who are featured in She Lives, Sophia Wisdom Works in the World. So are you going to be there? I sure am. Uh, I absolutely am. And uh, I have actually proposed that uh, uh, I give a talk as well. And Great. I'm about to submit a second proposal with another woman to do kind of an art uh, an art presentation. So um, I can't wait to hear your panel. I hope it gets picked. Well, I hope yours is too. So, oh, I'm, I'm excited. We'll be in Salt Lake City. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. A lot of people I know are going. I think it's going to really be a lot of fun, and um, you know, we'll have the opportunity to maybe uh, all sort of expand our networking because you'll meet my friends, I'll meet your friends, and uh, it could be really a great experience that way too. Oh, I believe so. So, Jan. Um, Oh, and I do want to mention uh, your your wonderful music. You know, listeners, the first time I met Jan was uh, she was at a feminist conference at the wonderful, wonderful, wonderful um, church in San Francisco uh, led by uh, Pastor Stacy Bourne, and it is actually called Her Church, Her Church. And uh, I, I became acquainted with Jan because of the, the beautiful lyrics that she's writing to music. And she was kind enough to let me put uh, one or two of those in back of Goddess Calling uh, because we use those at Sacred Sundays. Um, you know, Jan, I will, I will never forget uh, singing those lyrics, teary-eyed, looking over at you across the room. And uh, you do such beautiful work. Everything you do is so filled with love. Well, thank you. And the song that you began your show with, Shakina, I love that. That's probably my uh, second favorite uh, feminine divine image. My first is Sophia, but Shakina, and I have written uh, a few hymns to Shakina. And uh, actually, I'm putting together uh, with this composer I've worked with before, Larry Schultz, a third hymn book. And I've got uh, a few hymns to Shekinah there. So uh, I love that song that you had there in the opening. Well, I'm going to close the show tonight or maybe use at the break uh, your Wisdom Sophia um, uh, MP3 uh, music that you gave me to use here on the show. So we'll we'll try to make sure we remember to do that um, because you're not just a writer and a teacher. Uh, I mean, you're you're you know obviously into into the arts as well. Well, I believe so strongly in the arts and the rituals. Uh, they move feminist theory and theology from the head to the heart, and uh, you know they shape our deepest beliefs and values and. 
Uh, I know you believe in the power of rituals, too. And so that's really how I got into him writing because that's the favorite part of, of rituals that I grew up with. Yeah, yeah, me too. There's something about singing together, you know, feeling that energy together in the church. It's it's sort of a um, a bonding experience, mm-hmm. don't you think? Oh, I, I think definitely. And so I'm just I've just been so uh, so delighted that the creative spirit has uh, given me these hymns and seems to continue to do that. And then, you know, I've done these hymn videos. Uh, I'm not a visual artist, but I love going out there and finding beautiful feminine divine images. And and so many of them are out there free of charge, and then some artists have given me permission to use some. And I think you've seen, well, I know you've seen my hymn videos because you've commented on them on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And, and that's been just uh, wonderful and, and probably gotten my hymns out there as well or better than my hymn books. Uh, those videos have just been uh, very well received. So, um, And in uh, my new book, She Lives, Sophia Wisdom Works in the World, I have some of my hymns. In fact, I start each section with one of my hymns. And then uh, some of the people whose stories I have are hymn writers. And so I have some of their hymns. And then I have a section on... Uh, liturgy on ritual again because i believe so strongly in the power of ritual i have this hymn uh i don't know whether you're ready for me to go on into the book but i i I just thought of you when i was uh looking back uh over the book today uh this is by a man a male minister he's out there in california he's a methodist minister dan damon is his name and he uh, I've got him in the section on wisdom's work of caring for creation, Reverend Dan Charles Damon. He's uh, First United Pastor, First United Methodist Church in Richmond, California. Anyway, he wrote this hymn to the goddess, and when I discovered it in our hymn society materials, I was just floored because when I go to the hymn society, I'm usually disappointed at the continued predominance of exclusively male language in hymns. And, and you know, I go and do a workshop on feminine divine imagery in hymns and uh, pretty well attended, but, you know, I'm just kind of this minor voice and this big. But anyway, uh, Dan Damon is really prominent in the hymn society, and he wrote this hymn to Goddess. I won't read all of it, but I'll read... Uh, I won't sing it, but I'll just read a little bit of it. Sure, yeah. Poem, uh, Goddess of Love, we want to worship, not as outsiders waiting for crumbs, but as your children, part of your body. We long to praise you, part of your church. Goddess of Joy, your name is wondrous. Your thoughts are holy, deeper than ours. Yours is one body, many members. Goddess, embrace us, make your church one. Uh, then the last stanza is Goddess of Hope, we want to worship, not with dull sameness, but in new ways. Till all your people feel their inclusion, hear their name spoken, one of your own. Isn't that beautiful? It 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 is. It really is. You know, I mean, I, I the the more I become entrenched, you know, in goddess spirituality, you know, over the years it has, you know, it it just means more and more and more, you know. I mean, in the beginning it was about just finding a feminine face of God and what that means you know, on a personal basis, but then as you grow in this stuff and you realize, you know, what it really can mean to reshape the world, 
Um, I, I think that's why when I um, heard your new lyrics to um, the melody we call we sound a call to freedom, um, I, I just was on the on the verge of sobbing because it felt like to me, you know, she, the sacred feminine is such a force for liberation, you know, um, from the oppression and exploitation, you know, of of this patriarchal world and oh, we, um, we her so desperately and don't don't you feel her power growing? I really you know, do, I, and I'm, I'm hopeful, even though, you know, the, the midterm elections won't go into that, but there are so many, uh, uh, so many painful, awful, violent things going on, but I also feel that she's rising. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, Jan, I, somebody told me, and I, I, I think I believe it. I, I don't think it's just wishful thinking. She said, she said to me, she said, I think, Karen, this is what it's like to live in the evolution because you don't you can't see the conclusion yet you know you can't see the victory yet you know it's a struggle you know and sometimes it's one one or two feet you know forward and sometimes it's one or two feet back but you know i i do believe she is going to win out in the end uh because there's too many people desperate to have freedom, to have equality. You know, they are just not going to be satisfied with the way it has always been. Right. And there are too many who, once they hear her in a song, your experience, I've seen people over and over again when they sing to her, when they worship her, when she reaches them on the deepest level. I mean, women as well as men just crying, emotionally moved. They need her in such a, you know... Desperate way, and I, I think more and more people are realizing that. Uh, Miriam Therese Winter, who uh, is uh, at Hartford Seminary, she's a, a Catholic sister, but has been writing divine feminine rituals for Christianity for many, many years. In fact, I discovered, uh, even before I started writing hymns, I discovered her uh, woman word, uh, and then there's, I think, a wisdom word. But anyway, just has these wonderful. Uh, she writes some hymns, too, but this was like back in the 80s, and she endorsed uh, my new book, She Lives, and what she says is when we first acknowledge the divine as female and our sacred rites and liberating rituals, we never imagined we would live to see a time such as this. She not only lives, she is everywhere. And, yeah. I, you know, I read that, and I said, oh, if that were true, because I walk into most, you know, any church service or any uh, religion, and they're all patriarchal, and it's all worship of a male god. But she is everywhere, uh, and I I think uh, one of the things that I discovered in writing She Lives is that she's in these mainstream Christian denominations where you might not expect to find her. And yeah. some ministers and lay people, of course, had resistance, and some lost their jobs, but they continue on, and they're... One is called, in fact, the first story I have is uh, Reverend Laurie uh, Eichmann, who is a Lutheran minister, and her call is to be an intentional interim. And so she just uh, goes from church to church, you know, in between pastors and does all of this divine feminine work. She does uh, biblical studies and classes and then slowly introduces it. So she's like planting seeds all over the uh, Lutheran denomination, and I've got Presbyterians, I've got Roman Catholic, the woman priest uh, movement, and so I'm just seeing her in all of these places. And then uh, at the end of the book, I have these, 
I call them feminist emancipatory faith communities. Actually, that's a term from Marjorie Proctor Smith, and I give her credit. In her uh, book, The Church and Her Half, she talks about these emancipatory groups, and they're feminist, and they're, you know, all of the things that we love, Karen, that go on within the community and inclusive in every way. And and uh, so uh, I just went out there looking and finding all of these different communities, and this is just the beginning. My vision is to have an interactive website for, uh, you know, so that people can look and when they're traveling they can know where to go to find a feminist community a divine mm. feminine community and so oh that would be that would be so incredible jan and and you know um i have always felt and and that's why I went, like when i started doing sacred sundays and whenever i do ritual i tend to do stuff that it's much more unitarian universalist looking rather than say, for instance, Wiccan looking, Mm -hmm. because I felt that it was going to be the progressive Christians that were really going to help us move this into the mainstream world. Because, you know, look, I, I love Wiccans and pagans, but we are like herding cats. You know, and yeah. but 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 the but the Christians, you guys are organized. <laughs> well, you know, and, and you don't resist organization. Yeah, and and you know, there's there's uh, plus and minuses of that, as you know. Uh, and sometimes I just think, oh, denominational structures. But then, you know, you do see some value in it when when uh, you go to some other uh, kinds of things that are not as well organized or you can't get people together. But uh, Stacy Bourne, you mentioned her as pastor of Ebenezer, her church there in San Francisco. Uh, I just love, and I quote this uh, over and over, she says she doesn't see how the world is going to change until the religious institutions change. And at one mm-hmm. point she said churches, but the, any whether they're churches, uh, synagogues, uh, mosques, whatever, the the main religions, and they're all patriarchal, but until they change because they're so much a part of who the world is, the more we can provide church in a different way, the more we can hope things change. And, you know, Stacy, you know, there at Ebenezer, her church, I, I was just talk about moved and blown over and, and just in tears. First time I went there, I, I it was just so overwhelming because here was a... a Beautiful church structure, stained glass windows, uh, and there were goddess <laughs> all over. You know the yeah. the paintings. The, yeah, uh, no banners. male imagery at all, and they make I those know, wonderful goddess just, rosaries too. Oh, Remember the, the rosary, goddess rosaries? Right, made the goddess rosaries, and and you know they 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 sing my divine feminine hymns, and they sing others. They're all all of their hymns are inclusive when. Stacy reads uh, from the scripture. By the way, she has a, a goddess uh, picture on the front of her Bible, and she's always uh, saying Jesus and Mary Magdalene or Christ Sophia. Uh, she just changes to make it inclusive. And, right. Uh, so, I mean, she's she's written a divine feminine version of the Bible before uh, Mark Madison. By the way, I do have uh, I have several males. I'd mentioned Dan Damon. Most uh, of the people featured in She Lives are uh, women ministers and lay people, but I have a few very enlightened males and uh, another one is Mark Madison and he has just 
written, or he was co-editor, he had some others working with him, a complete translation of the New Testament. It's the divine feminine version of the New Testament. He calls it the DFW. Have you heard of this? Wow, no, I it's sure haven't. It's the Christian it. God Project. Yeah, he's uh, he's in uh, my book, Changing Church. He's in the first uh, section on gender equality, and uh, his chapter title is Reclaiming Biblical Female Divine Images. And so what he's done, every time there is a, a father, like in my father's house or many mansions, you know that well-known scripture in John, in my mother's house, it's, he changes every father to mother. He changes Lord to lady. And at first when I was reading that, I thought, you know, this sounds so strange, but it's because we haven't given Lady the same power mm-hmm. as the Lord. And right. so, you know, it'll have something like, you know, instead of the Lord of all, it'll be the Lady of all. And and uh, now he has, has Jesus, he, but he has she for every other reference to the divine. And he has Christ Sophia. And so anyway, it's... You know, it, it may not, again, be for everybody and for the goddess or the uh, pagan, but for, uh, you know, getting into mainstream Christianity and changing culture that has so been so influenced by mainstream Christianity and evangelical Christianity. Uh, well, I think it's... Well, you know, I have to ask you something, and you know, and, and obviously, I mean, look, I know before I ask, you can't speak for everyone, obviously, but I wonder if something I heard recently is actually true. Um, a friend of mine said that, you know, she had been attending some, which she sort of labeled, you know, progressive Christian stuff here in California, um, you know, and, and she was she was happy that they were doing goddess-oriented stuff, but she still had this sense that the sacred feminine or goddess to them was this you know sort of very benign almost this merry energy you know and and that maybe some of the christians are willing to go there but to embrace a goddess that is more like kali or sekhmet or um you know that that's also you know, got sacred sexuality and maybe is also a warrioress and she's life and death and everything. Do you find that, you know, they're they're really sort of just trading, you know, the persona of Mary for goddess, you know, with that, you know, kind, benign, just Kuan Yin compassionate thing? Or is she, does she also have the spunk and the feist? And and you know in the fight if necessary that the other goddesses carry, and, and that's a very good question, uh, and probably the reason that Sophia is my favorite uh, biblical image. Uh, that's wisdom in the Christian New Testament, Hokmah, and I even like that Hokmah. It sounds real strong in the Hebrew scripture. She's Hokmah. Uh, if you read the book of Proverbs and then wisdom, that's uh not in the uh, Protestant canon, but is in the Catholic canon, uh, the books of wisdom and Ecclesiasticus. She's very powerful there, but she's sta- in the book of Proverbs that Catholics and Protestants alike have. She stands on the street corner, she shouts and says, How long, how long, you know, oh foolish one. So she's she's very powerful. Now, 
uh, you know, as far as within Christian circles, accepting Kali uh, and, you know, even Kuan Yin, most would not because they would want it to be a biblical female divine image. Although uh, one of the people I have uh, featured in She Lives is a, a Korean, uh, which she uh, was at one of the uh, her church conferences. You might have uh, heard her, Dr. Chung. She's a, a Presbyterian Church minister, uh, Presbyterian Church of Korea, and also associate professor of ecumenical studies at Union Theological Seminary, uh, Hung Kun Chung. And she talks about Kuan Yin and the Holy Spirit being synonymous, that Kuan Yin is her Holy Spirit, that mm-hmm. they're both passionate. But again, you're talking about the compassionate and uh, more the meek and mild, um, and and you even said, you know, would they accept a more sexualized goddess? I don't know. Uh, you know, there's still that. <laughs> well, you know, and, the, you have to have to bring people along because you know there's this idea of God, monoth- a monotheistic goddess. You know that she's all aspects of the one. And um, I don't know, I was just curious, you know, because... Yeah, yeah. Well, what, uh, you might have uh, seen online or if you've been to her church recently, uh, they are going to put a goddess mural on the steeple. And um, when I first saw that, I and some of the members of her church, and remember there's some older uh, people who are, uh, you know, traditional Lutherans who are members there, and, of course, they've become progressive, but maybe not as progressive to have wanted a few of the images. Some are like some of the Christ Sophia images by Robert Lentz and some others that are fully clothed, but then some, uh, they're, they're just a series of goddesses that are going to be on this mural, and, and one, it shows her bare breast, and so some of the members were like, ah, oh, you know, we can't have that, and <laughs> And, you know, to tell you the truth, at first I thought, oh, you know, I'm afraid if it's there, some people are going to turn off the divine feminine who might come to it, you know, through this sign that they had and still have uh, God or goddess loves all her children. So you've got the words, but you don't have, you know, the picture right in people's faces. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. you know, and I don't know whether it would be the same too for, uh, you know, a male god, uh, the, the sexualized. Uh, um. Well, and you know, imagery. You know, I, I know women who found goddess through art. You know, um, you know, th- thinking about the arts. You know, whether it be music, like you know we've been talking about, or through the arts. Um, I mean, it can be a power symbols. You know, symbols in art are such powerful, um, you know, vehicles, you know, that, that sort of speak to us in, in ways that, um, you know, that words really can't. And, um, yeah, I, I, I just think it's, it is so important, to, you know, to show the, the, the many, the, her many faces, in a way, you know, because mm-hmm. then you get the idea across that she's, you know, she's not Mary, 
You know, she's not just Mary, you know, let's mm-hmm. put it that way. You know, she's compassion and she's, um, you know, this, this, you know, she can be this, um, you know, this gentle spirit. But, you know, she, like your, like the words in your, um, you know, sound a call to freedom. You know, she's also going to mm-hmm. be on the front lines. You know, she's going to oh, be a yeah. social justice activist, you know, right. or Kali. You know, when all the other gods couldn't defeat evil, it was Kali they called. Uh, yeah. She was the only one powerful enough to defeat evil. Sometimes I think we need an army of Kali's right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and you know, when we realize that they're all metaphors, uh, and sometimes I can get through to people to expand their images of the divine by helping them to see, you know, these are these are metaphors, they're symbols, they're images, and we need a variety of symbols. And so whether you're monotheistic or polytheistic, it's still a symbolic, uh, you know, representation of the divine mystery. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, how can we define God or goddess, for that matter? You know, I mean, it's it's just uh, you know way too big and immense. And um, but uh, but but I know. I guess I feel like you know we definitely don't want to make her smaller than she is. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and, and you know, I've I've had uh, Catholic friends who say the image of Mary is not helpful to them at all because what they grew up with was this unattainable. You know, she's a virgin, she's meek and mild, she's a mother, but yet a virgin, and, you know, that's impossible. And yeah. and uh, and some, you know, grew up with the image of her as uh, immaculate, never sinned, and uh, so, you know, and, and immaculate... Uh, anyway, it, it, yeah. How do you how totally do you emulate that? It's, 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 it's impossible. Didn't, didn't even have ha, never had sex even for the other children that she had. So you know that that image for some people. But then uh, there are other people, particularly the Mary, the uh, Virgin of Guadalupe, is very powerful for. Uh, women and men, one of the uh, people that I had in Changing Church, a longer profile, um, by the way, I have uh, the profiles of the people who were in Changing Church also in She Lives, but shorter because I've included so many more in She Lives. But um, Virginia Marie Rinkin, she is an Episcopal priest, uh, founder and executive director of Tango Voss, which is a uh, an organization for empowering Latina women. Uh, she talks about, in fact, the title I have of her chapter is The Virgin uh, de Guadalupe at the Forefront of Justice. She says she's always at the forefront of every justice movement, uh, immig- where, whether it's immigration rights or whatever. So uh, she, and, and oh, well, this, uh, to your point, though, about uh, the meek and mild. She she talks about, and I have much more of this in Changing Church than she lives because I had to make her story shorter, but uh, she says it's not just uh, the image of her that you see is most popular, even though I think that's strong. It's not, you know, a Madonna image. She doesn't have the Christ child at all. She looks like a goddess, I think, in the, uh, you know, the one that you see so much, uh um, on posters and things, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. even T-shirts and candles and things, but um, that uh, there are other uh, Virgin of the, the Guadalupe that are uh, 
bare-breasted, they're uh, large, uh, they're, you know, like other goddesses, not skinny. <laughs> they're, yeah, she just yeah. talks about uh, the variety of uh, powerful um, Guadalupe's. So, uh, yeah. so anyway, that's that's to your point. And, of course, she came from an Aztec goddess, and, and well, I guess... It, well, yeah, I was just about to say that, Tononzin, and mm-hmm. I wonder how many uh, Guadalupe um, devotees know that, you know, because I, that may, you know, that may give them a little bit more latitude to see her, um, you know, see her differently, you know, to allow her to have some of these other um, these other aspects, you know, like you said, you know, bare-breasted, larger, um, you know, not just this, perf- you know, this perfection kind of, you know, that, that we usually see when we look at Mary, you know. Yeah, and that's interesting that you say that because uh, Virginia Marie says that in these groups that she has, these are Latina women, she tells them that. She tell, gives them the origin and talks about the fusion of the Aztec culture and Catholicism. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, yeah. But then, you know, we, we talk about Mary being this benign, um, you know, uh, essence, uh, deity, whatever we want to call her. For, but, you know, I sometimes I think, you know, maybe just, 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 just how patriarchy has sort of taken the teeth out of a lot of the goddesses, you know, like you look at Hera, for instance, and under patriarchy in Greece, you know, she's transformed uh, out of her, you know, more powerful pre-patriarchal persona, and then she becomes this, um, you know, she's just this petulant wife forever nagging and chasing after her, you know, her womanizing husband Zeus, you know. Yeah, So how do we know that... It, well, I, I mean, where I was going with this is, you know, maybe this is crazy, but Mary, too, may have gotten her wings clipped, so to speak. You well, know, I don't uh, think that's crazy. I, I think that probably is true. Uh, another example is uh, the goddess Bridget became St. Bridget, got her mm-hmm. wings clipped and became St. Bridget in Catholicism. But uh, I think you're right on uh in, in fact, there have been some studies, and I can't quote them, of how uh, I just I just remember seeing some early art uh, of Mary, and uh, she looks more powerful, and then she becomes uh, meeker, milder, Madonna, head bowed, and with the Christ child. But some of those early images of Mary, she was very queen-like. Uh, you well, and think about this know. too, Jan. And and I mean, and look, and you obviously know more about this than me. I'm just, you know, trying to be logical here, and you can correct me. You won't hurt my feelings. You know, if if Mary was one of the women following Jesus, let's face it, Jesus was a rebel, a zealot, a, a terrorist of his time, so to speak. I yeah. mean, he was not supporting the status quo. He was going against the status quo. So. So first of all, my first point is, you know, if if they were real, you know, and and I would say, you know, he might have first learned his social justice activism at the knee of his mother. You know, they lived under Roman rule, that oppression, you know. Um, How do we know he didn't learn, uh, you know, about social justice 
in an oppression at the knee of his mother. And 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 if he was this rebel, you know, go you know, go and travel in the road, uh, you know, speaking the gospel, so to speak. Um, you know, and she's following him, maybe with Mary Magdalene or whoever the rest of the women were. Yeah, she the women and Luke to do that too. You know. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, I I, I think you're right on. Uh, in fact, uh, his first miracle, his mother told him to do it. It was turning the water into wine, and she saw that. Uh, you know, and that was a, a celebration of life, but she saw that some of the wedding guests might not have wine. They were going to run out, and she came to Jesus and told him to, to do something. Yeah, do something about so, it. Well, and you know, so, so many think, people I think, think that you, was his own wedding, right? I mean, the, the Mary Magdalene right, people it, will right, tell you that could, was... It, yeah, it could have been, but uh, he, he did have... Uh, powerful women following him. In fact, I've preached a sermon called The Other Disciples based on uh, Luke 8 and Mary Magdalene, Joanna and Susanna following him and giving him out of their means. And what's so unusual about that, and that day women didn't go around following a male rabbi uh, They and they didn't have any means. They couldn't even be witnesses in a court of law. Where did they get the money? Where you know, how did they do this? They were rebel women. Yeah, they were defying authority. They were not yeah. they were non conformists. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, just like so many of us are because it has to take right. a lot of courage for you and all the people in the books that you write about to do what they do because they are going up against uh the you know, to a certain extent, right? I mean the teachings of the church. They Oh um, yeah. And that that was one of the things in my interview that I asked about uh what resistance have you had, uh you know, what has given you the strength, uh what have you lost through this and uh some have either lost jobs or the opportunity for advancement. Almost all of them have lost opportunity for larger churches uh one uh presbyterian minister rebecca kaiser uh tells about and i've got a longer version in in changing church but then she lives i've got a little bit of this she went to a reimagining conference in the 90s i think it was like 1994 in minneapolis and she didn't get fired then some Presbyterian leaders, women leaders did get fired because they went to this reimagining where they had Sophia and they had an alternative communion of milk and honey and so it was pretty progressive uh, Miriam Therese Winter, sister Mir- Miriam Therese Winter was there um, and after she uh, got home from that, people in her region found out about that and then when she was looking for her next pastorate she was shut out and mm. basically just didn't have a pastorate for a while and went into some other kinds of ministry and then got back into well, pastorate. Well, and you know, I'm hearing, you know, you're, you're telling me she went to this conference and she came home and she was she was changed. And, you know, I, I don't know if you're familiar with the saying, but in um, amongst us goddess advocates, we there's, you know, there's even a song, she changes everything she touches and everything she touches changes. You know, I was... Yeah. teaching um, a Cakes for the Queen of Heaven class 
uh, that the Unitarian Universalist women put out. And um, a woman came to me at, a, at the break of one of the classes just crying. She said, Karen, I love what you're teaching. I love what you're teaching. I know it's, I, I know it's all true in my heart. She said, but I know I can't. I have to leave. I can't continue to go on with this because I will never be able to turn back. And I'm not at a point in my life where I can make that kind of change. Mm-hmm. You know, but because for so many women it does. I mean, it it and men it changes you forever. Uh, yeah. I, I think in a in a good way, obviously. But I think you have to be a brave a, a brave sort. Um, it, you know, dependent on the community you live in to be able to walk this path. Yes, yes, and uh, you know, and and I certainly have. Uh, respect and uh understanding for some of my uh clergy women friends who say you know there is just no way they they do it little by little uh or they just try not to have as many male pronouns but if they used uh Sophia or Shakina or you know any of these uh, overtly uh feminine divine terms they would just you know lose their livelihood yeah. Basically, and and they've uh, you know they've put so much uh, time and energy and money into training to be ministers. Uh, but what one thing that uh, I did in She Lives was to uh, find people who were doing this work in different ways too. And one of my reviewers of the book uh, commended me for not. Uh, having a strict orthodoxy or imposed uniformity in ways to embrace the female divine. And, of course, I don't think I have an imposed uniformity in, in anything that uh, I do. I don't believe in that. I believe in the individual uh, freedom for it. But what I, I did was to show how some people uh, say they didn't feel like they could use goddess, and so they combined God and goddess with the G-O-D-D-E. You might have seen that. Now, it signals uh, to the reader that that's a combination of God and goddess. When you say it, uh, some say that they still pronounce it God, and some say they pronounce it kind of gotta. Have you ever seen that, G-O-D-D-E? No, no, I haven't. Okay, so and the divine feminine version of the New Testament uses that as a, a combination of God and goddess. Uh, uh, Stacy, uh, well, when she first introduced goddess there at her church, she did a, uh, a slash mark and told people they could say God or goddess. You've seen that. I think Rosemary Radford Ruther does that. G O D slash D E S S. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So uh but uh anyway I, I tried to uh pick people who were uh you know doing this work in different ways and the diversity of people. Uh some in uh say in the African American church say that it is really slow going to try to change the language. Womanist uh, theologian uh, Monica Coleman says, uh, you know, it's just incredible how much people are attached to the maleness of God, and she just keeps trying and trying to change the language of the church. She's a African Methodist Episcopal uh, pastor. And uh, uh, Reverend Christine Smith is an American Baptist pastor, African-American, and 
she says she uses that God is the mother to the motherless and father to the fatherless. That's an African American saying. You may know okay. that. It's, no, I didn't know. It's been used quite frequently in the African American church, and uh, so you know, I, I think people are doing this this work in different ways. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's it's sort of by degree. I mean, you know, you can't right. change a culture overnight. Uh, people just don't change that quickly. You know, it's like trying to cha- cha- change the course of an ocean liner. You know, um, or or well, you know, the African American communities. Um, I, I know this might sound way out there, but you know, because there's pride in their African roots. I wonder, have any of the African-American ministers mentioned anything about trying to use imagery like ISIS or any of those, especially ISIS, because, you know, she's, it was her image that Christianity co-opted, you know, to, you know, for Jesus and Mary, you know, those uh, seated images with the, you know, Jesus and Mary's lap comes from ISIS and, uh, and Horus. I guess that might be going too far afield, huh? Well, uh, it's interesting that you say that. Uh, a young African-American woman in our New Wineskins community, and I think I've talked to you about New Wineskins before, but the listeners mm-hmm. uh, might, might not know this. This is a community that uh, some of us started here in Dallas, Texas. Uh, it's been about 20 years ago now, and it is a uh predominantly Christian feminist group, although we've had people from various religious traditions, but most are recovering Catholics or recovering Baptists, you know, whatever. But uh, we have uh, this uh, young woman who is uh, African-American, grew up Baptist, and uh, now she just had been out of any religious community until she found our new wineskins community, and she's just really resonated with it and loved it and given presentations. And she's done some studies on the African goddesses. And when, uh, now she hadn't said anything specifically about Isis, but this is an interesting thing. We say Ashi instead of Amen in mm-hmm. our uh, services. Now, Amen basically means so be it, and we know that. But there was this little girl who came to New Wineskins with her mother one time and and I think saying all men then, and she says, well, Mom, why don't we say all women or why, or something or all she instead of all men? And so we started saying all she just because we liked the way it sounded. And and when uh, this uh, young woman started coming to uh, New Wineskin, she said, Ashi is an African goddess, and she told us a little bit about, do you know an Ashi? And I don't know how she spelled it in New Wineskins. We just spell it. A S H E. No, I hadn't heard that actually. Well, I'll, well, I'll have to uh, do a little bit more research before the next time I get on your show. <laughs> okay. Okay. I, uh, she told us a little bit uh, about her, but uh, I don't. I'm sorry, I don't have all the information That's to okay. tell you about well, her. But. Well, well, speaking of people who are, are are doing things a little bit differently, I think uh, did you speak yet about Judith uh, Lero? Uh, at St. Hildegard's in Austin? Oh, uh, Judith, uh, I visited St. Hildegard's several times, and I'm about to go back. Uh, we're going to do a presentation on She Lives, actually, soon. Are you still there? Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, my phone sounded like it was doing some funny things. Uh, 
she uh, just does some amazing things there and talk about resistance from the Episcopal Diocese in Austin. Austin is probably the most liberal section of Texas politically. It is blue, definitely blue. But the Episcopal Diocese there is one of the most conservative anywhere, and, and she has had a lot of resistance, but her story is one of just continuing to to do the work and to be able to do it within that system because she feels called to be in the system. She's, you know, is honest about saying there have been times when she's she's wondered, and even the bishop has said, well, maybe, you know, you want to just take St. Hildegard's and make it ecumenical, not Episcopal, but she really feels called to transform the Episcopal tradition. Right, uh, right. Well, I was going to ask you that. You know, why, you know, and you sort of said, you know, you gave clues before, and, um, you know, why do people who are more, you know, oriented toward the sacred feminine or at least also incorporating the sacred feminine alongside the divine masculine, why even bother to stay in these, um, you know, male-dominated, sexist you know institutions like you said in your material you know some it's it's to say christian feminism is even sort of an oxymoron but but you know it i i guess it's hard to resist the organized structure and like you said they've invested so much in you know in their educations and everything else to just walk away right and what you were saying before too Karen is that there is so much good organization already there in communities, and you know you haven't felt that sometimes in uh, the goddess movement or the pagan, and and uh, and you know again Stacy Bourne saying there's so the church, the religious organizations are so much a part of who the world is, and so if we're going to change the world, we yeah. have to change the religious organizations. Uh, what uh, Judith Lero gives this uh, wonderful metaphor of the factory. Uh, I don't know whether uh, you remember that or not, but uh, it, she says a useful metaphor of several factories that are built on a river and pollute the water of a village downstream. A hospital is built to treat the illnesses that result, but there's still a need to track down the source of pollution to clean up the water itself. Many organizations, including the church, do the important work of the hospital. Yet I've also come to realize that the church is one of the factories that contributes to the problem. Our liturgical language, with its current heavily masculine content, supports a patriarchal hierarchical ordering. Most are simply unaware of the power of language, the status quo, which includes exploitation of the earth, poverty, racism, sexism, heterosexism, militarism, is held in place by a deep symbolic imbalance and we are unwitting participants in it. So, you know, she stays in to change that liturgical language that, you know, influences. It gets to the deepest level of people's beings, you know, just what we were talking about, about ritual, uh, words and symbols in our rituals and our worship service shape our deepest beliefs and values which drive our actions. You know, uh, Jeanette... uh, Clancy, I thought, said it. She said it so well in uh, what I put it, and she lives and she does in her chapter in your book. Wow, I, I just think what she says is so powerful. She says, I consider, this is quoting from your book now, Voices of Sacred Feminine, Chapter 33, 
page 303, I consider sex as God talk to be the most serious sin against society perpetuated by the institutional church in its scope and long-term damage is even more dangerous than clerical sex abuse because the latter developed as a consequence of worshiping a supreme being imagined exclusively male, compounding the damages of Christian tradition, sin emphasis, condition believed that this all-power individual looks for and punishes transgressions against him. Indirectly yeah. but effectively, the dominant male God invoked in churches endorses violence against women and other vulnerable people. So, you know, if if that male God that is worshipped week after week in churches is doing that much to bring injury to people, and I believe that that's true, I agree with her, then we've got to get in there and provide church in a different way. Right. I, I yeah. I, I'm 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 becoming more and more of a believer. You know, I used to. It used to just be very black and white to me. You know that uh, I just couldn't understand why women and men stick around. But I'm I'm learning the importance of why they stick around and why it's you know almost imperative. You know that they stick around if we, as Stacy says, you know if we hope to have a chance. Uh, you know, of of of, uh, of actually changing the world. You know, to actually do it, uh, actually do it from uh, you know from the churches. You know, from the inside out. Um, well, well, speaking of that, well, you have some uh, you have women priests uh, in in she lives, um, and I've had a few of those on on uh, on my radio show, and um, I, I guess I, I'm wondering do. You, and, and I think the Church of England just came out. I, I read uh, uh, that they're going to start allowing women to be bishops. If you had to guess, how far down the road is it uh, before we see some significant change? You think it's more than 20 years down the road? In the Catholic Church? Or or just Christianity or just in, in general? And Christianity in general. Uh, you know, I think we've already seen and continue to see some significant change as far as uh, women uh, becoming ministers. Most uh, denominations do ordain women. Uh, there's, there are a few holdouts, and of course, Catholic and Southern Baptists, but there are a lot of different kind of Baptists, obviously. I'm one. But uh, I think as far as that, you know, really breaking through the stained glass ceiling, uh, we've got a long way to go. Mentioned uh, in my bio that I'm co-chair of Equity for Women in the Church, and our goal is equal representation of women in multicultural faith communities. We want to get rid of this, you know, all white and all black too. But uh, what we've discovered in our research in Equity for Women in the Church is that now. Uh, Forty percent of seminarians, and this is uh, across the board seminaries, uh, Christian seminaries, forty uh, percent are women, but only ten percent of the pastors are women. And so oh. you have all of these women who are prepared and called, and uh, and so what our goal in Equity for Women in the Church is to get some big foundation like Lily. Uh, or some other foundation to give us funds to give seed money for women to start feminist emancipatory faith communities or alternative communities or uh, give churches uh, some money as incentive to call women pastors. uh, We've got a lot of different goals that we're going to do with this, but our goal is to uh, 
increase the the number so that there will be equity and we uh, you know the the research also shows that when women are pastors the churches do become more egalitarian more inclusive like on the LGBTQ issue that uh more and more of the churches that have pastors women pastors are open and affirming and inclusive so uh you know i think this wisdom works in the world uh i use that uh, metaphor for all of uh, women's, I mean, wisdom's works like marriage equality, economic justice, of course, gender equality, racial equality, caring for creation, nonviolence, uh, interfaith collaboration, etc. Those are the categories I have in She Lives. And I, I'm wanting to play on the She Lives, too. It is. She is the divine feminine, but Karen, I believe we're all divine, so I think it's she, it's you, it's me, uh, mm-hmm. it's that woman pastor standing in the pulpit advocating for social justice. She lives. So Sophia's works are coming through these women ministers, too, and that's why we think it's so important to have women ministers. Uh, you mentioned the uh, woman priest movement. Bridget Mary Mayen, who is a bishop in the Association of Roman Catholic Women Priests, uh, I love what she says about the importance of women being priests. She does believe in egalitarian faith communities that have little, if any, distinction between clergy and laity, but she thinks that in the meantime, it's so important to have uh, women priests so that people see them as equal symbols of the holy. Right. Catholic doctrine, as you might know, and one of the reasons they still cite for not having uh, women priests is that it has to be a representative of Christ, and Christ was and is male, da-da-da, you know. And, and, uh, you know... It's all about the penis, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, it is, it it is. And forget the resurrection that, you know, Christ... Forget the heart, forget the mind. Yeah, just forget (laughs) all of that. It just has to be, you know... But what's so wonderful about this woman priest, women priest movement is that uh, they are getting into the grassroots because uh, they can claim apostolic succession. So for the traditional Catholic, they can say we're legitimate even though they keep getting excommunicated because they were savvy enough to, to begin with, go to Europe and uh, get a male priest to ordain the first few anonymous of course, but then they can ordain others, and now they've ordained bishops who can ordain other women, and they claim apostolic succession because they came from a legitimately ordained male priest. Right, right, right. <laughs> so well, so it, it's really, really, uh, but, you know, they're doing for Catholicism, I think, what uh, others are trying to do, whether it's Stacey Bourne in the Lutheran Church, others in Presbyterian uh, you know, work from within these traditions to bring wisdom, Sophia, Shekinah, yeah. and her power. Well, you know, and, and I'm thinking, you know, whether we're talking about the nuns on the bus or the women priests um, or even, you know, I, I'm almost thinking one day before he passes from this earth that the Pope, you know, uh, Pope Francis is going to see the light and he's going to seriously change things that. in the Catholic Church. You, yeah, you I thought? keep asking Sophia to to enlighten him. You know, he's kind of on the edge. He's saying, you know, who am I to judge uh, LGBTQ people and and women need a, a bigger role. But 
Uh, you know, I don't know whether you've ever uh, interviewed Mary Hunt on this show. She's with no. Water. The, uh, I've, I've got uh, her story, and she lives too. And I've got quite a an indictment of uh, the Pope by her that she wrote. Uh, that and it was right after uh, he came into power that she wrote this. But that it was she was afraid that it was show that it was a PR thing, uh, that there wasn't much substance to it, in other words. But, uh, I wonder if she you know, changed think, her mind. Well, I, I think in some ways, and then I, I read uh, Joan Chittish, uh, who is a very powerful social justice nun, who uh, you know really commends him for his solidarity with the poor. I think he's been doing some good things on that. But, you know... Not to recognize that seventy percent of the poor of the world are women, and that that's not going to change until there's equity for women. And how can you have equity for women if you keep them as second-class citizens in the church? Well, and there's also the birth control issue too. Oh, uh, yes. You know. Right. Well, listen. One other question, and then I want to talk a little bit about Voice of the Sacred Feminine just a, just a bit. Um, I saw that you have as some of the people in your she lives uh members of of the evangelical uh evangelical church now and again this may just be my limited knowledge of all of these different you know christian groups but my what i know about evangelicals is they believe they're out at a war with the queen of heaven maybe not all of them um so and maybe that's your your answer but i guess i wondered how they can be sophia oriented if they're at war with the queen of heaven uh you know i don't know if i've heard that uh, at war with the queen of heaven my uh, of course, I grew up in Southern Baptist tradition, and you did too, and uh, very evangelical. And uh, my notion of it then was uh, you're trying to help people be born again, saved was the word, that, and you had to believe in atonement theology. That's what I get from evangelical. I see. Actually, well, you know, it's the dominionists. You know, maybe there are more than one different type of evangelical, but the dominionists, like Sarah Palin, for instance, you know, they oh, talk about yeah. being at war with the Queen of Heaven. You know, I think they're oh. also part of that quiverful movement where, you know, oh, women are yeah. they're they're basically told they're breeders, you know, and and uh, even after you know when they reach the, I mean, I had a woman from the who escaped the quiverful movement on the show, and you know, she told me that uh, literally they uh, they are told that well, if you you know you, you have to just keep having babies, that's your role in life, and if you get to the point where you die in childbirth because maybe it wasn't safe anymore, well, you'll be a martyr to Christ, and um, I, I don't know, it, that just blows my mind, but um, uh-huh. I, I didn't know if all evangelicals were the same, you know, if they now, all well, had this. That, I guess uh, I've considered that more fundamentalist, uh, or yeah. I'm not even sure exactly what, that That certainly wasn't a part of, of my growing up, although uh, Several of the uh, women in She Lives who are a part of uh, EEWC uh, also have a blog of Kendra Irons and uh, Melanie uh, Springer-Mock have a a blog called uh, Ain't I a Woman, and uh, I quote some from both of them, but what their mission is to to deconstruct that kind of Christian Ideal, and I, that's where I have heard about the quiver, quiverful uh, full 
so they take on some of the uh, extreme evangelical uh, messages out there and try to give a message of you know all we're meant to be but uh we're in fact the Christian feminism today uh is the name that most of us want to go by now because evangelical still has that connotation. But the people I've met in that, uh, I mean, I couldn't believe the first time I went to a, a gathering. The language was divine feminine all the way through. Uh, it's totally open and affirming. Uh, lesbians, it's, it's uh, you know, LGBTQ. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Lucy yeah. And every everything is uh, so. Uh, so it's really just right. sort of a fundamentalist uh, streak in the evangelicals, but it's not all evangelicals. Right, right, right. I, yeah. I mean, look, even even uh, pagans have their fun, their fundamentalists. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> you, you that's know, what so it they're, is. They're, Probably they're the everywhere. best known, and she still calls herself an evangelical. Virginia Ramey Mollencott, and she's written. Uh, everything from the divine feminine to omnigender but uh she uh her chapter in she lives is radicalized by the bible and she talks about how uh she grew up uh and went to bob jones which is a very fundamentalist uh school and uh but learned all of this bible but it was the bible when she really learned to study it responsibly that led her to become a feminist, and 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 of course she talks about the importance of female images of the divine. She says, as long as our references to God are always to male or else to neutral imagery like rock, men will continue to see more in divine image than women, and worldwide abuse of women and girls will continue because females will be viewed as less godlike, less human than males. So she's pretty strong, like uh, Jeanette on. That yeah. connection between violence against women. Um, so uh, yeah, EWC Christian feminism today um, is is really very powerful now for the divine feminine. It's <laughs> right, <laughs> and, right. Uh, yeah, and I, uh, as I said, uh, most in the organization now wonder about keeping the name evangelical, ecumenical. I think describes us better. So, so how would you define ecumenical? Um, ecumenical is for all denominations in Christianity and interfaith or multi-faith. I've heard some use multi-faith would be uh, all religious traditions from Catholic goddess to Muslim. Right, right. Um, well, speaking of Jeanette, Jeanette has kind of, um, you know, she's she's uh, she's in your uh, she lives, and she's also in voices of uh, voices of the sacred feminine, the anthology for the radio show. Um, I put Jeanette under uh, the the part four, which was uh, sacred activism, because you know she has that um, that sexist God talk, you know how it's it's vital to reform Christian language. And it's interesting, you know, in sacred activism, we also have, uh, you know, other Christians or, uh, you know, Father Roy Bourgeois, uh, Matthew Fox, 
Um, you know, so that was one of the things I, I felt really good about Voices of the Sacred Feminine because I guess you could say it is kind of interfaith. <laughs> um, oh, you know, it definitely is. In fact, I really wanted to commend you for the diversity of people that you have. You've got Ryan Asler or Jean Shinoda Bolan. You've got, yeah, the ones that you mentioned, uh, Matthew Fox. You've got Starhawk. You've got Roy. You've got uh, Noam Chomsky. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, you know, I think that's the thing about the sacred feminine, and maybe it's because I'm, you know, I'll admit, look, I'm biased, you know, I, I have left the, you know, I've left the Abrahamic religions behind, but it feels like the, the, the sacred feminine tent can be a much bigger tent, and that's, that's what I was sort of set out to, to, to um, sort of prove, I guess, um, you know, with this book, that there's, you know, so many with similar, uh, similar ideas. I mean, I re- it was funny because Phyllis Chesler, you know, her and Noam Chomsky don't, uh, both in, in Voices of the Sacred Feminine, you know, I don't think they will agree with each other on the politics of Israel, but yet they can still be in this book because they uh, believe in some certain values that we consider uh, sacred feminine values, you know. Um, so I don't know, it just feels like the tent is bigger. Um, Yeah, and and don't you believe that really helps to make the tent bigger? And I I think that's what, uh, actually it was Lisa Dawson-Scanzoni who did that review that I mentioned who commended me for not having a a strict orthodoxy or imposed uniformity. If I had started out by saying, you know, everybody I include in this has to be a Stacy born from her church and to do it just that way or picked out any of them and said, you know, it has to be just this way, then, you know, I would have limited so. And I think the same thing, uh, you know, if you'd said, well, this just has to be uh, God's spirituality, I yeah. think that, yeah, you you would have limited your readers, you would have limited your outreach in the world, which is really, you know, what we're both trying to do. Yeah, yeah, because I and I think um, you know, I, you know, I I I felt like I I I've I've done this show, you know, and I've done this book because you know it feels like to me, you know, because to me this has gotten very political. I mean, I know people's eyes kind of glaze over when you know you talk politics and it's ugly and it's like making sausage and nobody likes you know it's frustrating and. You know, all all of those negative connotations to politics. I, I feel that way, too. I used to not pay any attention to politics. But, you know, as I was saying earlier, you know, you start to evolve in your spirituality. And I think you start to realize that religion is political. I don't think you can pretend yeah. it's not. Um, and and I think, um, at least for me, I, that's the way I see it now, you know, and, and I felt like it's so important to reconcile our spirituality and our politics. You know, we can't very well vote for a party who doesn't care about the environment and then say we care about Mother Earth, you know. I mean, there's a disconnect right. there. Um, so uh, anyway, you know, I, I just felt like that, uh, I, you know, I wanted the book to reflect the radio show because um, the, the, there's so many people out there that we could stand in solidarity with, whether they call themselves a goddess advocate or not. You know, if we throw away the labels, we share the same values. Well, I think that's absolutely right. And I think, uh, you know, on your show, your radio show, you have such a variety of people, too. And, mm-hmm. 
uh, I remember the last time I was on, uh, I was on with Jeanette. You had us uh, on together, and I, I love that. Uh, I think that's so what did where you, I got was, to know her. What, what, did, uh, what did Jeanette contribute in your uh, anthology, She Lives? What was her topic? Um, I think it's uh, cherishing Christianity with it. You know, she writes this blog, God is not three guys in the sky cherishing right. Christianity without its exclusive claims. And so uh, I have her under interfaith collaboration because she talks so about uh, bringing people together of various faiths. And, uh, yeah, her chapter title is Cherishing Christianity Without Its Exclusive Claims. Yeah. Uh, and she talks... Uh, has some very strong language like she does in the chapter she wrote in Voices of Sacred Feminine about the power of God's language and that we've got to change the sexist God language. And so I have a couple of things that she wrote for her community. She's in a women church community. And, uh, yeah. She changes. Uh, one is a, a, a passage from Isaiah, I think, on this holy mountain, the Holy One will provide for all people. She will destroy the veils that the veil that veils all people. She will wipe away the tears from her eyes. So she changes, you know, all the references and yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, um, well, we're probably getting to um, getting to the end here. As I'm, I just looked up at the clock, uh, Jan, uh, and I and before we go, I do want to read the lyrics to your. Song um, that you so kindly let me use in uh, my Goddess Calling book because I feel like it speaks to this idea of the sacred feminine as the social justice advocate. But you know, before I wrap with that, um, I wondered was there anything else you wanted to share with listeners about um, the new book or the old books or any of the work you're doing or anything else? Um, well, I might want to just close with what uh, Rabbi Ramey Shapiro uh, said in his endorsement of She Lives. Okay. Uh, because it's so hopeful. It's, it is, uh, you know, certainly an endorsement of my book, but it's just also so hopeful about the revolution that I think that we're a part of, Karen. Uh, he says that uh, She Lives is an important book chronicling a revolution in Christianity the reclaiming of the divine feminine, a revolution that must be duplicated in other faiths as well. Read the book, Join the Revolution. So I (laughs) think that's what I would say to listeners. Read the book, not only my book, but your book and other books. Uh, Get the hymn book, sing the hymns, join the revolution. Oh, and sing the hymns. You know, I mean, I think, again, you know, singing the hymns, that just brings us together in a way that um, I think other things just don't do. And uh, so so before you go, let me just read some of these um, these verses of, of uh, We Sound a Call to Freedom. Now, one thing I like that you do, Jan, is a lot of times you'll take music that we're familiar with. For those of us like me who can't read music, um, you, you, you take songs that we're familiar with and you just change the words. So it makes it so much easier. And this is... Um, as as uh, as I said, uh, we call a sound to freedom, or some people might call it. Mine eyes have seen the glory. It's that um, it's it's the song from the Civil War, isn't it? Doesn't it go back to that? 
or uh, is it the uh, I'm not sure or the revolution? I'm war? I'm not sure either. No, but it's not. I'm not. It, 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 uh, it might it, be the civil war. Yeah. The first because uh, it, it's a great song for for you know for independence for you know breaking free um, you know liberation and it goes like this: We found a call to freedom that will heal our broken land. As the call rings out more clearly, violent forces will disband, prison doors will open, bonds will loosen by Sophie the Spirit's hand. But we usually change it to Sophia. Um, the fine. truth will set us free. Free at last, oh hallelujah, free at last, oh hallelujah. Christ, Sophia, you have freed us, your truth has set us free. And sometimes we'll just change Christ, Sophia, to goddess. Then the second version, uh, second uh, line is, we are tired of idle promises and broken words and deeds. We want equal rights and benefits for every race and creed. Cries of women, men, and children, we want everyone to heed. The truth will set us free. Then, of course, there's the refrain. And then verse 3, our recovery is coming as our eyes receive new sight. We are moving out of bondage. We are bound for freedom's bright. As we claim our fullest powers, we walk into the light. The truth will set us free. And then that's the refrain. And then the final verse, now our joy breaks forth in dawning of a free and glorious day. And our healing springs up quickly as our talents we display. Come and join our celebration. Come rejoice and gladly say the truth has set us free. You know, to me, that that is the change that we will see in the world when goddess is restored. Mm-hmm. It's as simple as that. Ah, she. Ah, she. <laughs> well, I want to tell you, I am going to play your uh, Wisdom Sophia song, and I am going to play this We Call a Sound to Freedom before I close off the show tonight. So in a tribute to you and a tribute to Sophia and a tribute to Goddess. What do you say? Thank you. You're welcome. Well, well, Jan, thank thank you so much for being on the show tonight um, and and other times. And thank you so much for contributing your uh, valuable insight and wisdom to Voices of the Sacred Feminine, um, you know, the anthology uh, conversations to change the world as well. I, I really feel so um honored that you would have trusted me enough to you know be represented in the book. I'm honored to be in the book and honored to be on your show Karen. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Well, listen, let's stay in touch. I'm sure down the road we will uh cross paths again, uh maybe before the parliament, who knows. I hope so. Okay. All right. Well, good night and uh have a great holiday. You too. Thank you. And good luck with the book She Lives. Oh, listen, do you have a website real quick? I think we forgot to mention that. Ooh, and it's uh, just, thank you, it's janaldridgeclanton.com. Okie doke. Well, um, listeners, we are going to take a break here, and I will be back. Uh, But during this break, I am going to let you hear Jan Aldridge Clanton's Wisdom Sophia. So sit back and enjoy. Here goes. Her revealing all of 
help them be part of the revolution. And I guess uh, I just want to say, uh, if you are going to purchase books, um, you know, for, for your loved ones, for yourself, if you can avoid it, um, don't buy your books offline. Don't go to Amazon. Uh, try to go to a local bookstore. Uh, because they are hanging on by their fingernails uh, trying to stay open. You know, we only have one feminist bookstore left at all on the West Coast. And, uh, and whether it be a feminist bookstore or it be any other kind of bookstore, try, try, try if you can uh, to support your local bookstore first. And, uh, or, or go directly to the author, you know, purchase the books directly uh, from Jan or purchase the books directly from me. Because, you know, um, Amazon takes 70% uh, of the profits. And that leaves uh, 30% to be split between the author and the publisher. And sometimes the publisher gets a bigger chunk of what's left than the author does uh, after, you know, after the author has, uh, has written the book. Um, and also, too, uh, some people don't realize that Amazon... Um, you know, the people who own Amazon, you know, their money goes to fund uh, right-wing causes, and uh, it works, uh, you know, d diametrically opposed to uh, the things that uh, the sacred feminine stands for. So I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty for buying anything from Amazon. It's not that at all. Sometimes you've got to go to Amazon. It's the only place that has used books and old books and and, you know, maybe it's the easiest way for you to get the books mailed to you, and it's the cheapest way for you to go. But, you know, if you can spend a little bit more money in the long run, you know, think big picture. In the long run, support the local bookstores, support the authors uh, that write the books uh, if you can. So anyway, uh, here's just a short excerpt uh, from Goddess Calling. Do you hear our sacred roar? We're coming armed with the ideals of the sacred feminine. We are carrying with us the archetypes of not just Mary and Kuan Yin, but Kali, the Morrigan, Libertas, and Sekhmet. We're tired of waiting for you to evolve and do the right thing. No more will we tolerate a world of injustice and inequality. No more will we allow the destruction of Mother Earth. No more will we sit quietly and obediently as our dignity is stripped from us and our future stolen. No more will our sexuality and reproductive rights be in the hands of religious zealots and their handmaidens. We want partnership. We want accountability. We want dignity and freedom. We want reverence for the earth and all of humanity. We want a world of compassion and empathy where we recognize our interconnection and practice caring and sharing for the 99%. There is enough for all of us if it's just equitably distributed. You know, 70% of women retire in poverty after a lifetime of institutionalized discrimination in the workplace without equal pay or compensation for staying home to care for their families. And statistics show that over the lifetime of a woman, because she doesn't get equal pay for equal work, she could potentially be losing like $400,000 in her lifetime. And all of this inequity, all of this marginalization, so many of us believe, tracks back to our having lost a feminine face of God. Because when we lost a feminine face of God, we lost gender equality. It's just that simple. 
Okay, um, I want to thank Joe Carson and Dancing with Gaia uh, for uh, helping keep Voices of the Sacred Feminine on the air. And um, you probably know the drill by now if you're a regular. Uh, here is a short commercial uh, for Joe Carson and Dancing with Gaia. Most people see humankind as really separate from nature and separate from the earth. I'm as much of this earth as a rock or a tree is. And I came out of it. This is is my mother planet. I grew out of this earth. As long as we conceive of divinity as above us or outside of us, or that our bodies are somehow less divine than spirit, there's no way that we can change our course. Um, well, that was Serena Roney Dougal, Ph.D., speaking in Joe Carson's film, Dancing with Gaia. Dancing with Gaia explores the connections between Earth energy, sacred sexuality, and the goddess as Gaia. It features 15 visionaries who give us tools to feel the life of the planet within ourselves. The DVD comes with a 45-page mini-book and costs just $20. And you can get your own copy at Dancing with Gaia. Dot com, dancingwithgaia.com. Well, um, I had the great um, news this week that three more people have signed up for the sacred tour to Turkey that I'm co-leading with Dr. James Riedfeld in May of next year. And uh, if you haven't heard, we're going to be uh, traveling to sacred sites in the land that was once called Anatolia, which is Turkey today. And I'm told Anatolia roughly translates into land of the nourishing mothers. Uh, Anna, A-N-A, is actually the name uh, of mother. Uh, over in Turkey. Uh, Dr. Riedfeld, um, I'm so glad to be uh, traveling with him. Uh, He's a good friend of mine. He actually uh, helped me research my first book, Sacred Places of Goddess, 108 Destinations, and uh, he's an incredible, uh, incredibly generous and gifted um, teacher and uh, researcher and uh, goddess advocate. He's he's also in the anthology Voices of the Sacred Feminine Conversations to Reshape the World. He contributed a wonderful ch- uh, story uh, called The Little Goddess, uh, Equality Through Love. Uh, that's a, a, a daughter and father uh, having a conversation and uh, it's really funny how the daughter turns the tables uh, and teaches uh, the the father that um, you know that there is a goddess up there, not just a god, and that she is love. But anyway, Dr. Riedfeld, uh, he's also one of the foremost American authorities on Artemis of Ephesus, um, and his book is going to be out uh, very very soon, uh, practically as we speak. Uh, he's also an archaeologist and a religion scholar. Uh, he actually found the Antigua Gardens uh, over in Turkey when uh, the Dutch and the French archaeologists failed to do so. Uh, and I think he actually gets uh, credit for that. But uh, anyway, we're teaming up uh, to do a great tour. Uh, if you're interested in doing something that appeals to both the that maybe the historian in you and the 
um, the person who wants a sacred journey, uh, some you know, if you want to go with folks who are going to do ritual at sacred sites, as well as uh, teach you about the history of of uh, of, of Turkey uh, and the history of goddess in the region, uh, well, we're the team to do it. And you know, we're taking no more than twenty women and men. Uh, so the experience will be very personal uh, as we go to different sa- uh, sites of goddess every day. And, uh, you know, the last time I was there, tourists had just not discovered these sites yet. You know, they're busy going to all the Christian sites. And while we will do some Christian sites and some Muslim sites, uh, our priority is archaeological sites, which tend to uh, be goddess sites. And uh, there's so many dedicated to um, Kabeli, maybe you call her uh, Sibyl or Sibylle, uh, to Isis, Mary, Aphrodite, Demeter, uh, Artemis, Hecate, Kubaba. You know, um, Hecate's only known standing temple is in Lagina, Turkey, and that is on our um, on our itinerary. And uh, the Anatolian Museum is there, too, and uh, I tell you that is not to be missed. Uh, in my mind, it rivals, it's smaller, of course, but uh, the, the artifacts in there, it rivals the uh, the museum on Crete. It, it's as good, in my mind, uh, as the goddess artifacts in museums like the Louvre and the British Museum. Um, Wonderful shopping. Uh, We're going to experience the whirling dervishes, Turkish baths. You know, I remember walking down the street and being able to go up to vendors and buy fresh-squeezed pomegranate juice. There's just something wickedly sacred about that, if that makes any sense. Um, so this is going to be a journey of a lifetime, and um, it was it will be one I'm sure you will never forget. So if uh, if you think you're interested, uh, the tour is filling nicely, uh, but you can't wait until May to make a decision. Uh, you know we do have to uh, you know have commitments much sooner than May. So if uh, if you'd like more information, please go to my website, Karen Tate. Dot com, or you can go to my Facebook page. You can find uh, find it listed as an event there as well. And if you have any trouble at all, just get in touch with me. I will uh, help you uh, find the information uh, that you need. Uh, and also, too, if you would like to help me uh, keep my show on the air and support my work, uh, I hope you will also go to the Goddess Store page of my website, KarenTate.com, and either purchase Goddess Calling or Voices of the Sacred Feminine. Uh, I am uh, having a special through the end of November. Uh, if you purchase either Goddess Calling or Voices of the Sacred Feminine and pay the postage, uh, I will also include free uh, Walking in Ancient Path. You just have to tell me you heard it here on the radio show. What a deal. So two books for the price of one. Okay, so uh, as we close off the show tonight, uh, as I promised, uh, I wanted to um, play Jan's other song that uh, I just love so much. Uh, it's the song that I read the lyrics to uh, a few minutes ago, uh, we call a sound to freedom. 
So uh, we're going to just close off tonight's show with this music and, uh, again, a reminder that uh, I won't be back with you next Wednesday. I will be back with you Tuesday uh, with Susan Hawthorne. Um, So just make sure you hit the follow button and uh, you will always get notice of the shows every week. And, um, you know, don't forget, everything is always there waiting Uh, It's always there waiting for you in the archives. So here we go again with uh, the wonderful Jan Aldridge-Clanton, and here's one of my favorites of hers. Um, You know, when she has a book out with all of these hymns in it, um, you know, you can find that uh, by going to her website. And I know I mentioned the book uh, earlier in her bio. I think it's uh, probably... Uh, inclusive hymns for liberation, peace, and justice. It might be in that one, but anyway, here goes. And uh, you would get this at the back of. Uh, it's in the back of Goddess Calling. She was kind enough to let me uh, reprint this and uh, her other one uh, for the holidays. It's actually our mother within us, which uh, the lyrics go to um, the song uh, "Away in a Manger." But anyway, tonight uh, we're going to play. We call. A sound to freedom. Here goes. Enjoy. We sound a call to freedom that will heal a broken land as the call rings out more clearly violent forces will disband. Prison doors will open, bonds will loosen by the Spirit's hand. The truth will set us free, free at last, oh hallelujah, free at last, oh hallelujah, now Sophia you have freed us, your truth has set Tired of idle promises and token words and deeds We want equal rights and benefits for every race and creed Cries of women, men and children We want everyone to heed the 